Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. My name is Ryan. And I'm Rosie. How was your day, Rosie? It was delightful, actually. Oh, good. I love my new job. I love my new kids. And I took them to the splash pad slash park. It was a very nice time. I'm really happy to hear that. Mm -hmm. It was nice and sunny today. That always helps. It pretty much rocked. Well, before we get into this week's story, which is a listener story, we want to officially announce the t-shirt winner (laughs) who we we heard back from, Shauna. Hey, Shauna. Yes. We're happy that you have replied. Yes, so. We almost made a three, well, from now on, if you do not respond within three days, we are moving on to a next, a new winner to make it fair. So we, how about a week? Whatever. Something like that. We'll make an official announcement when we make a decision. But anyway, oh, did were we going to share a review? Oh, yeah. Do you want to do that? Yeah. The new five-star review is entitled, Totally Love You Guys. It says, I love you so much. I look forward to Wednesday because my favorite people come on. I hope you never stop. That is from Destas Hotwing. Aww. From the U.S. of A. Sometimes we get out on Wednesday. Sometimes Thursday, and today is one of those Thursdays. Yeah, and in like New Zealand or Australia, we get out on sometimes Friday or Saturday. That's a weird depending on thought. Yeah, I didn't realize that until today that New Zealand's an entire day ahead of us, pretty much. <laughs> that is very interesting. Not quite a whole day, but pretty close. Anyway, shout out to Sammy too. Chat with her, but today and. She got tested for coronavirus. Sounded pretty miserable. It does. I'm curious how many of our listeners have been tested and hopefully got negative results. But Yeah, we still want to make a Patreon episode about any of you who had or have it. Have the vid. Yeah. It's a weird thing because it seems like it affects people so much differently. Like there's so much variety Mm -hmm. in how it affects people. But hopefully no one's died or had family members die because of it you just never know how it's going to affect you anyway i'm sure everyone's sick of hearing about covid mm-hmm. now this week we're sharing a listener story like we mentioned before it starts they wanted us to make it clear that there are triggers of physical and sexual abuse so rosie do you want to start reading sure the story of laney mm-hmm I'm a 40-year-old woman who is currently married to an extremely violent physical abuser. It was five days after my 25th birthday when I was introduced to my husband. I was at a restaurant with a group of my co-workers. A man named John played basketball with one of my co-workers, 
John was getting food to go, and my coworker told him to come join us. We spent the better part of the night just laughing and having a great time. So at the end of the night, when he asked if he could call me, I was like, sure. John was 38, newly divorced, and had a three-year-old son. And I was 25 and very naive about relationships. I had dated a little in my early 20s, but nothing serious. John called me the next day, and we talked all day long. He invited me on a date, and I said yes. We grew up very differently. We are both the oldest of four, but he grew up in an extremely violent home. His father controlled and beat his mother and two sisters. Mm. And not him or his brother, though they both witnessed the violence. He was made to watch and to be in charge of the women while his father was gone. That's a strange dynamic. That's... Like, even his mother? That's pretty dangerous. I'm the oldest of four, but was loved and hugged and spoiled. I never knew any violence or anything like that. He swept me off my feet. John was older, and he had been to college, and I hadn't, and just knew so much, and was so perfect for me. He was funny and caring and compassionate. He always seemed to know just what to say. This sounds pretty familiar, the way these stories start out a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when they seem like they've experienced so much more of life than you have. Uh, like, you can relate to that, can't you? Mm-hmm. He's kind of like the Prince Charming right now. Yeah, and he just seems so cool and, like, you know, he's really lived life. So it's appealing to someone who's not, you know, who's younger and hasn't experienced as much. Right. Do you want me to read for a bit, Rosie? Sure. All right. Lanny continues. He told me that his first wife and him were college sweethearts and got married without knowing what commitment was. He said that he went to work one day and when he came home, she had packed all her things and took his son to her home state and never even let him see his son. I couldn't believe that she had treated him so badly, and it explained the first red flag I ignored. Again, this makes sense. He's purely the victim in this situation. Yeah, nothing about what he may have done to lead to this point. A real responsible person would also contribute and be honest about it, and why the marriage didn't work. I'm Mm -hmm. sure there's another side to that story. So she continues, he had a huge thing about being deserted. He always wanted me to swear that I would never abandon him. And of course, I said I would never abandon him the way she had. Mm -hmm. Again, right there, that's that's not good. Three months into dating, we moved in together. And three months after that, we were married. Huh. That's pretty quick. Mm -hmm. But I've, I mean, I've known people who are quicker than that. I had never lived apart from my mother, and we were extremely close. Our relationship continued, and she always said she liked John, but there was something about him she didn't quite understand. I thought it was because he was older and Caucasian. I am African American. But she never said exactly what it was that rubbed her the wrong way about John. Hmm. Mother's intuition, maybe? Yeah. Do you want me to keep reading? I'll take take this paragraph. Alright, just let me know when you want me to read. Okay. Six months into our marriage, I noticed that John started really being more controlling. 
He didn't like me hanging out with my coworkers or my sisters. He didn't want me to work at all. And I held on to my job as long as I could. 16 years. That's a long time. That is. Like, I was only at the post office for seven years, and it feels like my whole life already. <laughs> you know? When we went out to restaurants, he would order for me. And I'm a picky eater and have food allergies, so he always ordered things that I would and could eat. But it just happened overnight, and it made me uncomfortable if we were with other people or the waitress would react to him ordering for me. That's a really strange thing. Like, I'm not going to lie. When you, if I see that, mm-hmm. it it is weird when, like, why can't she order for herself? I would hate it if you ordered oh, for me. Oh, I know. <laughs> that is very strange. And I guess it could be taken as, like, a cute, flirty thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess, like, maybe if. If she's into that kind of thing, but she said she was uncomfortable, so. Let's move on. She says, One night I made dinner for us. I cooked rice and it was overcooked. He got so angry at me, he threw the pot of rice at me and stormed out of the house. That's. Overreacting? Yeah. I cleaned it up crying and I was too embarrassed to tell anyone how he had acted. I waited up for him but finally fell asleep. Wouldn't you think that'd be really hot? A a pot of rice? Well, yeah, and the fact that he's throwing it at her. Yeah, it's just like double... Like, it it already is way over the line to throw something at someone, but a pot of rice? But I also get the fact that she felt embarrassed. Like, you don't want people to know that your spouse is acting like that. True. I woke up in the middle of the night and he was asleep in our bed. I went into the kitchen and there were a dozen of yellow roses and a rice cooker on the table. That was his way of apologizing. And that was the beginning of my physically abusive marriage. Do you think that would qualify as gaslighting? In like an indirect way? Well, yeah, the buying things like a band-aid, a physical item. Because, like, I don't know, just trying to get her to ignore the fact that he'd thrown a pot of rice at her and kind of remind her why he did it, almost. With the rice cooker? Yeah. Almost like, that was bad. I'm going to make it better. Like, Yeah, and yeah. take credit for... Well, he, she continues, we never spoke about the rice incident, which is scary to me. Because there's no communication like, hey, so... That was really messed up what I did. I'm sorry. Or something that would have, you know, at least him taking responsibility for it would have been ideal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, people make mistakes, but they got to take responsibility and try hard to fix them. But they didn't talk about it at all. So it's really sad for Lainey that nothing to make things better besides this gift and then silence. Mm-hmm. Like, trying to buy back affection. Well, and that's all she's going to think about when she pulls out that dumb rice cooker. Right? No kidding. So it's a totally tainted apology. I mean, it's... Yeah. And it wasn't actually a physical apology. It was just stuff. Yeah, so... Sadly, after this, things got even worse. A few months later, during an argument, he became physically violent towards me. 
I don't recall what the argument was, but I said something and he slapped me across the face so hard that I fell out of the chair and onto the floor. He immediately began apologizing, saying it would never happen again, and he didn't know what made him do that. He helped me off the floor and held me while I cried. Ugh. This, this is so such a clear representation of the cycle of abuse. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, when he was a kid, he watched his father do this to his mother and sisters. Right. He was taught this is how you treat your wife. Yeah. And it's no excuse because a lot of kids grow up in that environment and grow up to be good people that would never do that mm-hmm. and learn from their parents' mistakes. But some people get caught in the cycle of abuse and... It's not an excuse at all, but it is an explanation right. of why he handles things this way, which is really sad. But again, there's no excuse for this behavior, and it's just a sad situation all around. Lainey keeps going and says, I couldn't believe that John hit me. He always yelled at me and said things that were emotionally abusive, but he had never physically assaulted me. So I forgave him. Because he was my husband, and I loved him. We had barely been married a year, and I didn't want to walk out and abandon him like his first wife had. And totally valid feelings. Like, I, some people are like, I don't understand why she just doesn't leave him. But right. if you put yourself in this situation, especially the way that Lainey is totally laying this out for us, it's her feelings are so valid and it's so understandable well yeah and like she mentioned earlier it's how do you bring this up with your family after pretending things are perfect for so long Mm -hmm. like uh, it's hard it's a hard thing to do and I mean you don't want to believe it yourself when you're in this situation um but like to regularly be verbally berated and insulted. Like she said that he called her stupid, called her fat and said saying stuff like she can't do anything right. And I mean, to be made to feel that way is literally like it's one of the most discouraging and disappointing feelings you can have mm-hmm. to feel like you nothing you can do can make someone happy. Like just it crushes you. And then add on top of that the physical violence. Just terrible situation. Lainey continues, I tried to put this incident behind me, but the emotional, verbal, and physical abuse continued. At first, it was just pushing and cornering me so that I was intimidated by his size. He would slap me and punch me, but I still didn't really see the danger of that behavior. I knew it was abuse, but not that I was abused. I had an image that only men who were drunks beat their wives, and my husband didn't have a drinking problem. He would fly into rages and get mad at me, and he'd punch me in the back, and then he would be fine. And I accepted this behavior because I had to continue the facade that we were happy. We didn't get married too fast, and we were compatible. These are the images we had to uphold because it's what all my family and friends said to me when I married him. So I had to keep his secrets for 10 years. Sounds like a nightmare. And 
just it gets harder and harder over time. So it would have been so hard to admit the reality of the situation when you have been putting on this facade for 10 years. Mm -hmm. or, like, even if you haven't been hiding it, it's so hard to admit this, especially when you're married. Right. 10 years into our marriage, my father died. And the whole time we were married, I was never allowed to see my, my paternal family. But I was allowed to go to his funeral. How sad would it be to need permission, though, to go to your father's funeral? Um, how about... 10 years of not seeing your paternal family. Right? What is up with that? That's insane. I'm sorry about the rumbling in the background. Burrito keeps running across our desk, which our microphones are connected to. But hopefully it's not too, you know, annoying or distracting. <laughs> um, do you want me to read now? Sure. She says, My father was against my marriage to John. So we stopped speaking to them after I was married, and I wasn't in touch with his family. After his funeral, they continued to reach out to me, and I believe this is when my paternal family realized that my husband was super controlling. But I don't believe anyone knew that he was physically abusive. My maternal family saw me often, but I was never bruised in areas anyone could see. I think they suspected abuse, but it became evident after an incident between us, and I went to my sister's house for solace. I was crying, and I told her that he had hit me, and I couldn't take it anymore. He showed up at her house, screaming that I better get in the car. She called the cops, and I begged her on my knees to not do that. I got in the car with John and left before the cops showed up. Oh, mm. it's so sad because mm -hmm. here's a situation where it could have, you know, it would have been really difficult, but it could have helped out in the long run. Yeah, and I'm sure she probably had to pay for that situation oh. for her sister. Well, let's continue. The relationship with this sister has been broken ever since. To this day, five years later, we still do not speak about John or see each other. During this time, I had spoken to two of John's sisters, and they informed me that his first wife had taken their son and left after John had broken her arm. Okay, so, so there's that. There's the answer. The other side of the story. I confirmed this with John's mother and with his ex-wife. His ex-wife told me that he had been abusive to their entire or for their entire relationship and she couldn't handle it anymore. She told me to leave him and when I told her that I loved him and wouldn't leave him, she wished me luck. Mm. Oh. Why didn't her family maybe he wasn't letting her hang out with his family? Because otherwise, what the heck? Why wouldn't the family help her out and tell her, especially the sisters? Right. Or the mom? Well, uh, that's really sad. And like you mentioned earlier, like I wonder what the truth was behind his actions mm -hmm. that caused her to leave or like what impact he had. Well, this explains a lot. Yeah. Sure does. Like he's trying to make himself out to be the victim mm -hmm. when he broke her arm. 
But Lainey continues, I endured this abuse, every form that you can imagine, for 12 years. I told my youngest sister about the abuse, and she was very supportive. She always told me that I had a place at her house. She lived one state away. I was still working, and I had a handful of friends from work. He had given me a list of rules that I had to abide by so I could keep those freedoms. It was never... It was a never-ending carousel of trying to please him and walk on eggshells. I was being isolated by his tight control, and I didn't even know it. But I put on a happy face and continued. Oh, my gosh. Imagine that being the norm for you, having given a list of rules that you have to abide by, even when he's not around, and you feel like he's so much in control that you... You better do what he says, even if he's not there. That sounds miserable. And, like, why? Why does he think it's okay to impose rules on her like this? She's an adult. I know. But sadly, kids that go through abuse or witness domestic abuse in their households when they're growing up, even though they see what it does, they carry those with them, even into adulthood. Yeah. Ugh maybe even see it as normal behavior like who knows but I guess that's why we talk about these things um do you want to continue or should I? sure in 2017 my mother passed away unexpectedly and my entire life began to collapse with my mother my best friend out of the way John ramped up the abuse and control He isolated me from my family and my friends even more, making me ask for permission to go see them or to even leave the house to go to the grocery store. He wouldn't give me any money, and when he did, I had to have a dollar-by-dollar description for what I spent it on. Oh my gosh. One day, we had a terrible altercation, and for the first time in our marriage, he strangled me. That scared me, and the next time I was alone... I called the domestic violence hotline. I don't really know why. They gave me the information to my local DV center. And after I called and made an appointment, I started their support group, which I attended during the week hours without his knowledge. I was in this group for a few months. And this is when I realized that even though my husband was not an alcoholic, I indeed was an abused wife. I learned that all his manipulation and control tactics were abuse. Through the DV Center, I started DV Therapy with a local nonprofit. And just to clarify, DV is domestic violence? Right. The year that I spent in this therapy was so eye-opening. I could never repay these two centers for the knowledge and support that they gave me. For various reasons, I had to stop going to these centers for support. John found out that I was attending them and beat me so badly that I was hospitalized. Oh my god. The abuse had been getting very bad once my mother passed away. In those past three years, I have had multiple injuries from the abuse, including two concussions, several cracked ribs, a fractured femur, a ruptured eardrum, multiple bruises, and black eyes. A ruptured eardrum? That... Sounds painful. incredibly painful. I mean, all of this oh, does, but I... I mean, femur, that's a huge bone. 
in your leg, correct? I believe so, yeah. I can't, like, this abuse, most people don't even have this in their lifetime, let alone three years. Yeah, well, even, I mean, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really nice to see that the therapy helped her to come to terms with what was happening. But then his reaction to it, like, it's unbelievable. And she was hospitalized. And the hospital didn't step in to do anything? Well, I'm sure he had a story for them. And had a story for her to tell them. Uh, what kind of story? Oh my gosh. Sometimes I feel like hospitals are so busy and packed to the brim that they're they're gonna turn a blind eye if I they suppose. have to. That's true, and that sucks. It's a problem. Let's keep reading. Seven months ago, John finally got his way, and I quit my job. Again, the abuse at the time was an all-time high. Black eyes and injuries and visible bruises were not uncommon. But no one saw me but his sister, and he didn't care. Around this time, he began to become sexually aggressive with me. That's sad, too, because remember, his sister grew up in the same house and where the women were abused. And he didn't care that she knew about this. So obviously, like, she was damaged, too, because, like, she just, he wasn't worried about her talking about it. Mm Mm-hmm. There would be nights where he would want sex, and I didn't. But I would just do it to keep the peace. Then eventually, after he would physically assault me, he would just rape me. I would cry, and I would try to fight back, but he would hold me down, force my legs open, cover my face with a pillow or his hand so I couldn't scream. Afterwards, he would act like nothing was wrong. He'd send me to the bathroom to wash up and never acknowledge what had just occurred. So I didn't either. I didn't want to upset him or have him beat me again. Oh my god. Summer. Husband of over 10 years suddenly starts raping? It's horrific. I couldn't imagine what that would feel like for someone that you pledged your life to and promised to love and cherish forever. And what's going on in his mind that he thinks that this is ever okay like any of this it just it seems like he's viewing her from a human to now just an object and feels like what's the point of changing now (sighs) okay um you want me to read now sure she says summer of 2019 things got so bad that I tried to take my own life. I don't feel that... I don't feel that was what I was doing. I believe that I had hit rock bottom and I wanted the pain to end. Physical, mental, emotional. So she's making the distinction there. Her goal wasn't to take her life. It was to end the pain. She says, I took John's gun and put it to my head and pulled the trigger. Wow. Thankfully, it was unloaded, and he saw that I was at my breaking point. We did a three-month separation during this time. The first month of the separation, I was devastated. 
I had wanted out. I wanted him gone, but he was my whole life. I couldn't eat or sleep. I was worried about him. He was stalking me, and he always knew where I had been or what I had been up to. But I never felt I was in any danger, even during the times he was abusing me. Sometimes I still don't. Wow. December of 2019, our separation ended, and I decided to let him come home. I had missed him so much, and he told me he had changed. He told me that he realized he can't treat me like property, and he'd started a batterer's program, which I later found out was a lie. He moved back in December 1st, and by December 18th, he had physically assaulted me during an argument. January 3rd, 2020, I was hospitalized from a brutal beating I received at the hands of my husband, who I love. I lied to the hospitals and doctors about my injuries because I was ashamed and embarrassed. I didn't want him arrested like a criminal. I couldn't bear to think of him being in jail, even for assaulting me. He was the only thing that mattered to me. His safety was more important than my own. Every time I left, a total of five times so far in 15 years, when I returned, he would beat me as a punishment for my disobedience and disloyalty. Oh, my gosh. The last time I left was February 27, 2020. I had been beaten and berated and went to a friend of mine's who lived locally near me. I had met her in the support group, and she let me sleep on her couch for two days, and then my mother-in-law paid for me to stay in a hotel one night. During these days, I had been in contact with John, and he was promising me he wouldn't hit me anymore, and he was sorry. I had been calling the local domestic violence shelters, and no one had any openings. So, against my better judgment, I let him pick me up from the hotel, and I returned home. I was beaten for this escape as well. My home had always been a prison, and then two weeks after I returned home, March 15th, 2020, everyone's home became a prison. Coronavirus lockdowns began, and I was 100% trapped with my abusive husband. In the past month, I have been beaten and injured, but there is no way to go to a doctor or hospital with the virus being the top priority. There's no escaping to my friend's house or my sister's house. There's nothing except me and him and the abuse. Mm. I constantly walk on eggshells trying to please him and not upset him. Thankfully, he is still working during the week, uh, during the epidemic, so I get a few hours a day without him in the house. I spend my days cleaning the house every single day, cooking all his meals and washing his clothes. I am basically his live-in sex maid. Wow, that, I don't know how it can get much worse. I don't even know what to say. Because it's an ongoing situation. I know, there's like no happy ending here. She says, I don't know how to end this email. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your podcast. I love hearing you both, and I always get a kick out of hearing the cats in the background. It always makes my day. Oh, well, there was plenty God. of that in this episode. That's true. 
But Laney, this, I'm speechless. This is um a really I don't know. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you are able to wake up every day and say, This is my life. I'm gonna make it through this day. I mean you must take it one day at a time. I don't see how in my body, I don't know how else I would get through this. Right. It's an interesting perspective um, to get a snapshot of someone who's still trying to find a way out and that they're trapped because of the epidemic shutdowns, you know? Man, it's hard to know what to say because I understand, like, the love. Because there's no resolution. The love you must have for this man after 15 years of marriage. Yeah. And how committed you are to him. But at the same time, how he's, like, slowly killing you. I just can't imagine that type of entrapment or imprisonment that you feel. And she has nowhere else to go because both of her parents have died and... The shelters, when she was trying to get into a shelter, there were no openings. And so I understand how she's still stuck in this situation. But, I mean, obviously, I mean, she needs to find a way out. She needs to eventually mm-hmm. find a way out. And, and it's been a while since we received this email, but hopefully with mm-hmm. things opening up again, there will be someone that can help and I'm hoping Lainey's willing to seek that help and act on it because it's such a dangerous way to live life. Right. It really is. And, uh, yeah. Wow. That's a tough ending. That is a tough ending. I don't know what to say. Like, it made me want to cry when she says it makes her day to hear the cats because I'm like, that's not enough. I know. That's um I'm really glad that, that our podcast can bring a positive light into your day. Yeah, and I'm hoping hoping that listening to our podcast is you know, eventually helps you to make the changes that it's obvious need to happen. Mm-hmm. Like for your safety. This obviously isn't a healthy relationship. Yeah, that's all I can say. Mm -hmm. He obviously needs therapy, but it doesn't seem like he's willing to seek it either. Because the punishment she got when he found out she had been going to therapy. Mm -hmm. But hopefully she'll keep us updated on what's happening because I just, I feel powerless because there's nothing we can really do. Right, but we can share her story. Yeah. And get her words out there. And hopefully, I mean, if any of our listeners, because I know there's a lot of you out there who have been through similar situations and have gotten out of these situations. I mean, we don't know what to say, but if any of you out there listening do have encouragement or advice for Lainey, please feel free to send it to us at vovpodcast at gmail.com so we can share it with her. Because, I mean, you guys who have experienced stuff like that are more qualified to talk about it than we are. And if there's therapists listening to this or, you know, anyone who's qualified to offer advice or guidance, please share it with us so we can pass it on. 
and learn from it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, oh, this was an interesting perspective to talk about someone who's still trapped. Mm -hmm. If you are in that situation, like, even though all of our stories so far have had relatively happy endings, except for the one with the who was in Minnesota with the stalker. Right. But don't let that hold you back from sharing your story with us. Even if you're still working through it, it's still valid. It's still something that we can learn from. What do you think, Rosie? Oh, I think that I myself need a drink just to process. That was just like a lot. I really sympathize with Lainey. That's, that's quite a story. So thank you, Lainey, for your email. I'm sorry it took us this long to get it out on the podcast. Yeah, even though there's not a resolution at the end, hopefully it can still start some conversation right. within our community yeah. and we can find people in the community that will reach out and give advice or just support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because I can't even imagine having to work through this and feeling trapped in this situation. Right. I don't know what I would do. I don't either. So thank you, Lainey, for opening up to us and sharing this because it couldn't have been easy for her to share it, you know, knowing Mm -hmm. that there's no resolution right now. Well, I suppose we'll wrap it up for this week. Mm -hmm. Um, Thanks again for sharing your story. Mm -hmm. And thank you for listening again you can find us on instagram at vov podcast and email us at vov podcast at gmail.com or on facebook twitter and i think that's about it so, i think so all right well thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week bye